that we're doing well. If you have your copy of God's Word there in front of you, I invite you to go to the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, we're going to hop around a little bit tonight, which is uncommon for me. Uh, if you spend any time at all um, in our ministry moving forward, it uh, tends to just try to work through one text. But tonight, in an effort to um, lay in front of us where just through some conversations with others, um, some prayer, and trying to consider where the Lord might have us go in the future, um, just try and bring to you tonight, uh, like what Jimmy prayed, just kind of a vision casting type sermon. What is it going to look like for us as we move forward and try and uh, reach our university context, college students, people aged 18 to 25 in our city um, that we care about. So, First uh, Corinthians chapter 1 is where we'll begin tonight, and then we're going to make our way to two other passages um, in our time together this evening. So if you would, stand with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse number 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 10, this is the word of the Lord. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with Wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. This has been the word of the Lord, and we're thankful that you preserved it so we can read it together like this. Let's pray together this evening. Father, we come before you tonight. We're asking you that you would move um, through your word. And we are fiercely committed to the truth that the word of God alone changes the hearts, the attitudes, and the actions of man, and that there's nothing that I can say tonight in my own power that's going to change anyone. Um, but your word alone can change us and shape us and mold us and make us more like you. So we're asking that in this moment that we would all, myself included, uh, submit ourselves to the power and the working of your word. And we ask that the Holy Spirit would convict and move us in the ways that you desire. We also know tonight that we're not the only people in Springfield who are preaching the gospel and not the only gospel preaching church certainly don't have a corner market on it and how arrogant for us to think that we do. So we ask tonight that you would be with our brothers and sisters across the city. We think specifically of Pastor Jeremy Munez at Ridgecrest and, and their congregation there. Think of Graceway Baptist Church and, and college ministry there under the direction of Zach Thiel and the different staff members and pastors of the Bob Stevenson, Bob Waller, Tyler Shore, Kyle Gangle. We ask that you would be with those brothers as they shepherd their flocks respectively uh, to, to promote and make much of you. 
And God, we're asking this year that you would bring revival to our city. Uh, start it here in our college ministry. But Lord, we're going to be so passionately hungry for revival that we're okay if you bring it to the church down the street just as long as we get some of it. So we just ask that you would be with us now as we make our way through your word. Give me the words to, to speak as I've studied and prepared because I can't do this on my own. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Um, it may be weird to admit it, um, and I'm okay with that idea that it might be weird to admit it, but um, I love, and I still do at some level, it's different now because it, it doesn't follow the traditional way of doing it, but I love the idea of whatever was next uh, in school. Um, I am a school junkie. I love school, and really, to be honest with you, I love college, and I've loved postgraduate work. I wasn't really a big fan of high school, um, just being truthful. Like, it was a lot of wasted time, um, learning stuff that no one cares about, um, just being transparent, and sorry to all the people that loved high school. It's the best. Um, but I, every semester, looked forward to what was coming next, mainly because you get to be the one who chooses what you're going to do and what you're going to take within reason. And it gets better every year. You get more and more opportunities to choose your own classes. But I liked thinking about and being excited for what I was going to learn. And it really, I really keyed in on this, especially when I went to Bible college, because I knew the Lord had called me to ministry. I was excited to learn any way possible that I could serve him better and know his word better and learn more about him. And that's just bled into way more school than probably anyone ever needs. And so I'm the type of person who loves to look ahead. You may be too with the idea of one day I'm going to get past where I'm at right now and one day things will be different and things will be better and maybe that's you tonight. But for the purpose of tonight's sermon and really trying to look forward for what our college ministry is going to be and what I'm praying the Lord will allow us to accomplish, I want to lay before us what I think are some key components to what's going to drive us forward as a college ministry. If you're like me, I hope that you have a burden and a desire to see the people around you come to know Christ. I hope that when you walk on your campus or to your job or wherever God has placed you, whether um, that's just even to going inside to a local coffee shop, that when you walk in there, your heart burns, like we just sang, with a passion to see the people around you come to a saving knowledge of Christ, that they would come to a realization that they need Christ more than anything, that there's no amount of schooling, there's no amount of jobs, there's no amount of coffee in this world that is going to rescue them from the fact that their biggest, most fundamental need is Jesus Christ. And if that's you tonight, I'm super pumped that you're part of our college ministry. And if that's not you, I'm praying that the Lord would move you to that place. To maybe see your campus differently this year. To see your job differently this year. To see the people that you interact with on a daily basis different this year. Maybe even see the people that are in our college ministry differently. And your care and desire different. So what's it going to take for us to move forward? Well, I think there are three words that will help us to kind of scope out 
where we're going. And after reading this first passage, I, I hope that this word is not going to come as a shock to you. But first, if we're going to look forward and then move forward, it has to be on the basis of unity. We read in the particular passage we just did, 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 17, that the Apostle Paul begins his letter after writing his introduction. He moves on to what is more commonly known to as a Thanksgiving portion, verses 4 all the way down to verse number 9. And then he launches into the first problem that he needs to address in Corinth. Now, if you know anything about Corinth, Corinth is an incredibly secular city at the time of Paul's writing. It's incredibly secular, incredibly carnal. There's a lot of crazy stuff that's going on in this particular church. Uh, You read through uh, the book of 1 Corinthians and you wonder why anyone after uh, the first century would ever name their church Corinth Church. And it's funny, you'll drive across the country and there'll be places that are like Corinth Baptist Church. And I'm thinking in my mind, if they ever called me as pastor, first thing we're doing is we're changing our name. Because Corinth, I mean, this is the kind of craziness that's going on in Corinth. You've got a guy that's married to and and his wife and his stepson is sleeping with his stepmom. And they're coming to church and acting like it's totally cool. That's crazy town. Nobody's like, that makes sense. That's exactly how we want Christ followers to act. But notice that Paul doesn't immediately jump to that problem. He doesn't jump to the fact that here's a church that's eating meat that's offered to false idols and they're getting into a long discussion about it. He doesn't start with the fact that they've got people who are abusing what we would call first century sign gifts that we believe is feast, but even in Corinth, they're abusing them. He doesn't even jump to the fact that there's a big debate over whether or not women should wear head coverings. None of that stuff. And that's primarily what Christians go to the book of 1 Corinthians to argue about. Where Paul starts is on the issue of unity. Because he understands this first and foremost. That Corinth will never be able to address the different problems that it has. It will never be able to address the different issues that need to be addressed there. Unless everyone is united around the same thing. He says, for Christ did not send me, verse 17, to baptize but to preach the gospel. Not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Paul says, if we're going to move forward as a church, if Corinth really has a desire to be different, to reach the people in Corinth, to, to be missional, to live on mission, they've got to be united around the gospel. And I think the same thing is true about us. If, if we're going to move forward as a college ministry, if we're going to reach people for Christ, if we're going to actually see our campuses turned on their ear, if we're going to actually have a prophetic edge that allows us to speak into people's lives, We have to be united around the gospel. We can't be united around differences. Do you notice that Paul says, I love that headline in my Bible. It's not inspired, but it's helpful. It says sectarianism is sin. He takes him to task. He says, verse 11, for it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those 
of Chloe's household that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I'm of Paul, or I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Cephas, or we could say I'm of Peter. And then you got Johnny Super Christian who comes in late to the party. He's like, I'm not of any of those people. I'm of Christ. Is Christ divided? And then Paul pulls like the ultimate like pro athlete move and starts talking in the third person. Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? This is a fitting way to start our year, to make sure that we're all on the same page. Because if we're not all on the same page, then we can't go forward together. We can't go forward together. We can't make changes. We can't address needs on campuses. We can't see people come to know Christ if we're all running in different directions. We have to unite around the gospel. And that's got to be the thing that draws us and brings us together. It can't be our friend groups. It can't be where we go to school. It can't be who we like more than someone else. It can't even be about our opinions or our thoughts or our ideas. It can't be about any of that. It has to be, we have to be united around the gospel. It's interesting because the first century church has the same problems that the modern church has today. Save me a little time. Or is it? Do we find ourselves making decisions about how we're going to come to church based on who's going to stand in the pulpit? Or am I going to come on a Sunday morning if X person is in my small group or not in my small group? Or am I going to make decisions about whether or not I'm going to support the direction of the church based on if it's my idea or not? Or I agree with it? It's interesting because we work on a staff with 12 other people who oversee many different areas of our church. And D.B. Warfield used to say about theologians, and I think this carries over to staff people as well, gather five people in a room and ask them an opinion on a particular doctrine, theology, or practice, and you'll likely get seven. critical spirits that exist, the angry emails that get sent. Luckily, none of them come to my inbox or they're going to my spam and I'm never seeing them because I don't get angry emails. I know they come. They just aren't sent to me. But worse than the angry emails is the division or the comments that are said behind closed doors. Not being comfortable enough or we could say adult enough to speak criticism to those in leadership because it's more convenient to do it behind closed doors to our friends. Friends, you might say, David, there's some major problems if we walk in here and there's a total lack of unity. No, I'm not saying that there is. I'm saying if we're not on top of it, it easily sprouts up and becomes a problem. And a lack of unity or a spirit of division is the smell of death for any ministry. You're, some of you have not been college students long enough to let things go bad in your fridge that your mom doesn't take care of. The lack of unity and division is like opening a door to a fridge where something has gone rotten. You don't know what it is, but you definitely can smell it. 
And when there's a lack of unity or there's division inside of a ministry, you may not be able to smell it, but the outsiders do. And they pick up on it immediately. I can't go and be with that friend group. I'm not welcomed here. These people are cool with us foreign no more. That person has a critical spirit. That person doesn't like the music. That person doesn't like where we're headed. That person has a problem with somebody in leadership. And you begin to identify all these different people. May it not be said amongst us, but if we're not careful, it easily can breed inside of our ministry and we can easily have it happen and it can easily rise up. And if we don't say, I'm going to be committed to following the direction of our church and our college ministry, then we'll never be able to turn the corner. We'll never be able to be used the way that God desires us to be used because we're not together around the gospel. That's what Paul's addressing here. Ultimately, Paul understands this. Unity around the gospel, or a lack of it, will directly impact the way we act towards each other as we seek to minister to those people. There's no way around it. We've got to launch out this year together. We've got to launch out this year together as one united group that's desiring, like, we live in a unique town. BBC, Evangel, OCC, Missouri State, Drury, SVU, six colleges in one metro area. Most of my collegiate ministry friends throw their hands up when they hear that. I don't know how you do anything. How do you pick anything? I just say, like, we just throw the whole kitchen sink at all of them. Just hope that something sticks. Because we don't know. We're not going to just target MSU. We're not going to just target Drury. We're not going to just target OCC or Evangel or BBC. We can't do that. We're not going to just target like the hipsters who've dropped out of school and are sitting down at Kingdom Coffee on their computer pretending to work. We, just, we can't just target one particular people group. It doesn't work that way. It felt a little bit like very specific when you keep doing that. If you're that person, I just want you to know I love you and I wish I could just fool you, but it'll never happen. And you already know that because you see the way I'm dressed and you go, yeah, you're right. So I just ask you this. What are you going to do or what are you doing right now to foster unity throughout the college ministry and even our church? Because here's the thing. And I'm just, I'm just going to be honest. If you're willing to critique our church, and I don't mean charitably, and I don't mean like getting together with our staff people and talking to them about the things that you see and being aware and like these are the kind of things that bother you. I'm talking about like just a critical spirit. If you're willing to critique big church, it's not going to be long before you critique this area and that area. If you're not willing to support one ministry area, how can we expect you to legitimately support any ministry area? Because guess what? This is not a church. This little group right here is not Crave Church. It's a college ministry in the church. 
And we exist together to help our church move forward to reach people for the cause of Christ. And I would just ask you this. Maybe tonight I'm like way off and there is stuff floating around. There are people that you need to get right with. Why would you delay in getting things right with your brother or sister in Christ? The, the, the New Testament is like specific about this. The Gospels are clear. Like if there's someone that has sinned against you and there's something that's wrong between you, you need to get that right. We're going to talk about that in a minute. So we got to be unified. The second word that I think describes where we need to go as a college ministry. So unity would be number one. Commitment would be number two. Flip over, if you would, to Acts chapter two. Acts chapter two. I'm going to begin in verse number 40. I love the book of Acts. It gives us a historical picture of what the early church was like. And there's a deep level of commitment that exists on the part of the Christians in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 40, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them. This being Peter saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So here we read this amazing account of what's happening on the day of Pentecost. Peter gets up and preaches a sermon. They're immediately pierced to the heart and they don't know what to do. They say, Peter, what do we do? And Peter says in verse 38, repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And boom, 3,000 people are added to the church. Like insta church. Like just add a little water. Well, not just a little. We've got to immerse them. So add a lot of water and boom, 3,000 people. We got our first mega church right out of the gate. And people are like, well, I don't like it. It's too big. Well, you would have not liked Pentecost. There's a lot of people here. Here in Acts chapter 2, we read what this church does as it grows. And I've, I've taught hermeneutics, which is Bible interpretation. I just want to say at the outset, the book of Acts is descriptive, not prescriptive. We, we don't run to Acts and say, this is how everything must be done. But we can look and say, these are parts of the model that through the rest of Scripture are still how we should operate today. And you notice that these Christians, these first Members of the earliest church are committed to a few things. Number one, they're committed to the apostles' doctrine. These new believers were committed to learning and growing why and what they believed. They were hungry. Man, I love it when you guys are hungry. I love it when you ask me tough questions. I love it when you're like, I, I'm trying to read my Bible. I'm in the middle of Leviticus. I don't understand a cotton-picking thing that's going on. Can you help me? Yes, we can. And it is weird. It's just, have you noticed it's weird? Some weird stuff. You got people saying, don't boil your baby goat in its mother's milk. Like, you're like, well, that seems like normal. I don't really know that you need to put that in scripture. 
just think that's kind of commonplace. Like, we'd all be on the same page about that. Apparently they weren't. And so there's all those different things and pieces that are moving up, uh, around these different Christians, these Christ followers, they're under them, they want them, and they don't want to just accept whatever they're told. They want to know why we believe what we believe. They're committed to fellowship. They're committed to spending time together. They want to be around each other. Now, you live in a hostile culture that's not really necessarily fond towards Christ followers. They tend to band together. Interestingly enough, that seems and looks like where we're headed in our current society. The local church must build relationships. It must have relationships. But relationships are a two-way street. This is what happens in church. Well, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not getting enough from church. I'm just not getting enough. The question doesn't become, why are, are you here? You're not here to get. You're here to give. It's two-way. Like, you've got to give a little. <laughs> That's a terrible country song. But you've got to. Like, you just have to. Because relationships aren't one-sided. No relationships one-sided in your life. At least not the ones that you love and care about. At least not the ones that you are deeply affected by. And every Baptist is excited because they go here and they read this passage. Okay, doctrine. Okay, that's okay. Fellowship, we can do that. Breaking bread, everybody's like, yes, we're going to eat. So they're getting together. They're having meals together. Getting together and having a little Chick-fil-A, like the Lord's chicken. It's pre-blessed. Don't even have to pray over it. Let's eat it together. Let's talk about what we're learning. But even more importantly than just breaking bread, this carries with it the idea that they were taking the Lord's table together. They were remembering Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection and what he had done for them. That's why anytime the Lord's table is offered, you're never going to see us offer the Lord's table in here just to the college students. We're going to take it together as a church. But anytime that the Lord's table is open to us, we fence it, right? We, we put up guardrails around it. We say, this is a meal that's reserved for Christ's followers. That's what we mean when we say we fence it. We guard it, we protect it, because 1 Corinthians tells us what happens when people take it unworthily or not being reconciled to God. They can die. Like, that's serious. That's why we encourage you to be a part of this, to take part in breaking bread, not just going to lunch at Buffalo Wild Wings after church, but to make sure that you're gathering around the Lord's table with other believers, remembering solemnly. One of my least favorite stories, but also one of the funniest stories I've ever had a student tell me, funny and heartbreaking at the same time, is about a, a teacher in high school that offered uh, just a, what, for whatever reason, felt the need to, to give his class communion in just a super irre irreverent way. And it's funny because it happened, you're like, that's funny, but then at the same time, those of us who know how serious taking the table together is, know that that's heartbreaking. And then it says that they prayed together. They prayed together. They cared enough to regularly pray together. They, they were concerned about each other's spiritual condition. You say, David, that's great. This is Acts. What does this have to do with us? Well, I think it lays out some principles that we want to emulate, that we want to get to as a college ministry. One of those being like, how do we know what we know? 
How do we continue to grow? So we prayed about it. I prayed about it. I talked with um, our leaders about it. I talked with our pastor and different staff members about it and just just praying and, and, and trying to seek the Lord's guidance. Like, this is not easy for me. I am a people pleaser by nature. I told our leaders this the other day. I'm a people pleaser by nature. I don't want to do anything that upsets the apple cart, not because I'm afraid of change, because that doesn't bother me. It's I don't like it when people don't like me. I know I'm the only person in here who struggles with that, but I, that's just being transparent tonight. I don't like change, not because I can't handle it, but because I don't like how people respond to it. We prayed about it, talked about it, and so starting in September, we're going to move to a new small group format. You're going to stay in your current small group. We're not going to mix you up again like, hey, we've been here for a month. Let's mix it up again. See how many times we can mix you up until you're frustrated with us. We're not doing that. We're going to keep you in your current small groups. What we're going to do is we're going to gather together uh, for the first 35 to 40 minutes of our time together. And we're going to walk through why we believe what we believe. And we're going to cover, hopefully, every topic under the sun. And then the last 15 to 20 minutes of our time together, we're going to break you into small groups. And what we want you to do in that small group is, number two, we want you to fellowship together. We want you to have opportunities in your small group hour just to spend time with each other. Take 15, 20 minutes, hang out, and then take prayer requests and pray together. No pressure to talk about anything deep, but at the same time to let you go as deep as you want. And then you'll end your time together praying. We've also told our leaders, look, there's a new expectation. We want you to fellowship together. So from August to August, your small group needs to have a minimum of six activities that are just for your small group. So we're going to give you opportunities and, and, and push our leaders and push ourselves to make time to spend together, to go and do things together. And so I'm telling you that so you can hold your leaders accountable. So you can say, well, listen, like we were there six times. We need to go somewhere, do something. Even if it's to go out in the parking lot and eat sandwiches together on somebody's tailgate. Like we need to do something together. And we're going to commit to breaking bread. Like we're not going to just stop doing that. Like we're, we're, the college ministry rallies around like uh, we don't know much about this, but we're definitely in favor of the breaking of bread. So we're going to continue our collective where every other week on a Wednesday night we provide food for you. We come in here, we feast on the Lord's word together, and then we go out and we feast on actual food together. And then Jess and I, just we've been praying a lot about this. And so we're going to try to do this the best that we can. It won't be clean and, and neat according to some rubric schedule. So if you're that person, just don't even start here. But we're going to try to about once every other week, we'll be having two small groups over to our house to have dinner together. You don't have to pay for any of it. You just come over and you enjoy a meal at our house. It's on us. It's totally like just chill. Come over and eat and talk about whatever you want to talk about. We're going to commit to praying together. We're going to pray together at the end of each small group. 
And every Sunday at 515, we're going to continue to meet behind the sanctuary until we can't fit people back there. What would it look like in our ministry if people got serious about entreating the Lord? So 515, so church starts on Sunday night. We're going to pray before we do it. I know some of you are sitting in that room and you're like, that's great, David. But in two weeks, I leave to go to college. I'm not going to be here. And it sounds wonderful because I don't have anything like this where I'm from or where I'm going. I don't have any of it. Well, you can have a few expectations. Those of you that are away. You can have expectations that once a month, your small groups are going to be singing Share Fest. Thessalonians chapter 4, while you're turning there, I'm going to read verses 9 through 12. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. What an amazing sentence. Paul's like, this is basically for free. You're doing so great at this, I don't even really need to write to you about it, but I'm going to anyway. I love it, Paul. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need. Thessalonians chapter 4. You have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. And that you aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands. As we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside
have to be flippant here. I'm sorry, but I'm just not. We can't be harsh when we deal with each other. Someone sins against us. We have to actually keep Galatians 6 in mind. Brethren, if someone sins against you or has overtaken a fault, you who are spiritual, restore one another with a spirit of gentleness and fear, recognizing this is a paraphrase. This could easily be one of the other phrases. Not a big deal. A lot of times we just don't get it. We just flip on it. You know, I do it. Maybe I'm the root cause, and that could probably be the case. But Paul goes to these believers because they care deeply for each other, and they care so well for each other, and they love each other so well. This is where they're at. People around town are talking. People outside of town are talking. They're in Thessalonica. The people in Macedonia, look it up on a map. This isn't like, an, like this isn't like, hey, uh, the people at Crave in Springfield are doing such a great job. The people in uh, Willard are talking about it. It's like the people in Springfield are caring so much about college students. The people in Columbia are talking about it. well throughout the region for how well they love each other and how well they love other people. May that be a defining marker of who we are. But Paul doesn't let them up. He doesn't say, oh, you guys are doing a great job. You're killing it. Wonderful. Take some time off and hate each other. He says, grow in your love for one another. Continue to grow in your love for one another. You know, it's really easy to continue to grow in the love that you have for the people that you like. People who are your best friends, people that you hang out with all the time. It's more difficult to continue to grow in love for the people who are annoying to you. The people who are awkward to you. Just notice that everyone has a different definition of what that means. It's always easy to love the people who are easy to love. That's why Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Because everybody does that. Even Gentiles and tax collectors do that. He's basically like saying, even the worst people in the world love the people that they love. Or better even said, no wonder that the only accurate answer is Christ. Beloved, this is where we're at. This is what we're looking for. This is where I'm praying that the Lord would take us. I'm not asking for you to like everything, and I'm not asking for you to agree with everything. But I am asking that you pray for me, that I'd have wisdom to chart us in the right direction. And then do what I do every time I get in a car with someone who says, I don't think you're alone. Just trust that the Lord's going to safely bring us to the next destination. College ministry is crazy. Holiday time is crazy. Your lives are about to be crazy. Make this the priority. Because one day, this will be a great relief to all of you who have ever taken a class with me ever. One day you will not give an account to me for how you did in your class or how you did in your religion hours or how you did in your
you're going to challenge your time. Plug in. In the back of the room, there's a table. Two sign-ups. One has the opportunity for you to get involved and grow. One Tuesday night a month. Not every Tuesday night. One Tuesday night a month. One day out of 30 or 31. Let's not go to lunch. Let's go to the sign up for more than one week and there's another sign up sheet back there one of the things we're committed to is trying to give you many many opportunities to serve in this room there's you can sign up to serve on our event team you can sign up to serve our outreach team you can sign up to serve the hospitality team the teacher night team serve up if you're working on media team you can talk to Jimmy about teaching events serve doing what we just did tonight Praying for people, doing announcements. I'm tired of doing announcements. Let somebody else do it. It's a great opportunity for you to get plugged in and involved. But I can't, and, and to be honest with you, I'm done trying. So take the leaders you can get. We're not going to beg, borrow, and steal you to make you serve. Christ, his son. 